This is the Pfeffer on Power podcast. I'm your host, Stanford professor, Jeffrey Pfeffer. And every other week, we have on this program somebody to talk to us about power and about aspects of power and how to use power to become more successful. And today, I am thrilled and honored to have with me the famous Dana Carney, a professor at the Haas School at the University of California at Berkeley. Also, she runs the Institute for Personality Assessment. She is a full professor, a well-published author, and an expert on our topic for today, which is body language. She, along with Amy Cuddy, did a very controversial study on the effect of power posing on people's hormones. And that is controversial. But what is not controversial is the fact that people respond to others on the basis of how they look. For instance, there is data that shows that taller people make more money. There's data that show that good-looking people make more money, in part because good-looking people are able to get other people to help them and build a larger network. And I have invited Dana on the show to provide my listeners with the most up-to-date tips on how to get power by how you look. And she's an expert. She's writing a book on this, and it's fabulous. Welcome to the show, Dana. Jeffrey, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So I want to begin by asking you to talk briefly about why and how how people look, how they come across, the gestures that they use, why that is so important. Well, let's back it up and talk for just a moment about the distinction between what we think is associated with power and status and dominance and what's actually associated with power, status, and dominance. So <laughs> humans are really interesting. There are more than 43 different nonverbal cues that we think are associated with power that actually have nothing to do with power. So what's amazing about this is that we actually have this massive toolkit that we can kind of pick and choose from and try on like clothes to figure out like, okay, this fits me really well. And when I use it, people think I, uh, you know, have more power and they're more likely to talk to me or more likely to invite me places. On the flip side, there's a smaller set of nonverbal cues, nine, in fact, to date, we think it's about nine, that you can use as a perceiver to actually navigate the world so that you can kind of pick out who actually has power and differentiate them from folks who who don't actually have power. So there's the perception side, which is the stereotypes, the things we think are associated with power, which help us because we can project those things. And we'll talk about some of those things. And then on the perception side, how do you cut through all that crap? How do you know what to actually pay attention to when you're trying to figure out who is the most powerful person in this room? And I can tell a story about when you might want to do that, right? I mean, there's lots of context within which one might want to do that, but I can kind of tell a lighthearted version of uh, a situation like that. So Jeff, there are so many behaviors that we can choose from to kind of put our best foot forward, so to speak. So the idea, just to start with going back to power poses. So the idea that the nonverbal display of kind of an expansive open posture, whether that triggers a cascade of testosterone release and a decrease in cortisol, that's come under 
let's just say it doesn't replicate. (laughs) However, when people perceive us doing those things, not only are we sending a signal that we have access to and control over resources, but we're willing to share them. So the coolest thing about what people have come to know as a power pose is that it not only conveys dominance and power and kind of like this access to resources, but an openness and a willingness to share that with others. So it conveys both warmth and strength or power at the same time. And so that's a really wonderful behavior that you can use to express, hey, I've got the world at my fingertips and I'm willing to share it with you. And that leads to you becoming magnetic. People are more attracted to, I don't mean attracted in the kind of Eros sense, but you know, Eros, Agape, and Ophelia, all three types of liking. People are more attracted to you uh, because you are displaying a sense of, hey, I've got the keys that unlock the world and I'm willing to unlock doors for you. If you're taller or bigger, you really want to be kind of careful using too much because then you're going to come across too strong and then you'll get kind of the reverse effect where people be intimidated by you. Dana, As you describe the strategic use of body language and facial gestures in order to persuade other people about your power or about an issue, many people will think that this is somehow inauthentic or fake or not a good thing to do. Can you explain briefly why, in fact, using body language effectively is important for people to master? Yes. Power is not a bad thing. If you have power, you're able to open doors for other people. You have the ability to help folks, right? You have access to resources. Wanting power, being powerful. First of all, we have to get out of the way that the idea of being powerful is is a bad thing. Second of all, we all know this language. It's in us. We're doing it already. What this research can help people do is figure out what should I specifically be paying attention to and shine a light on a part of themselves that already exists. We already do all of these things. And it's not for nefarious purposes that we're trying to convince someone to, you know, of course, yes, anything can be used for nefarious purposes. It need not be used that way. If you want to convince someone that you know, your organization should pay more attention to DEIB issues. That's an important utilization of these nonverbal tools to try to convince a group of people that your your organization needs change. There are so many uses that are non-selfish, that are pro-social for tapping into something that you already know how to do, a set of skills that are there. They're just lying below the surface And my hope is that this conversation will just bring into the open, like a list of behaviors, what exactly one should do if one wants to put their best foot forward. Of course. A couple of other things that you talk about in your article in California Management Review and in your other articles where you talk about of nonverbal behavior is standing closer to people, touching them gently on the arm. And gazing at them, eye contact is very important. Is that true? Yeah. So eye contact is one that is associated more with perceived power than it is with actual power. So in the world of 
of the behaviors associated with actual dominance, power, and status. Having things like an open body posture, less interpersonal distance, more successful interruptions, a louder voice, speaking time, so talking longer. Those things are associated with actual power. And so if you are a perceiver and trying to navigate a room and figure out who's the most dominant or you know powerful person in the room, those are the cues you can pay attention to. If you are interested more in how can I project power, so whether or not you actually have it, yes, more eye gaze. So looking at people longer, I'll qualify that in just a moment, but yes. So looking at people is associated with perceived power, not actual power, but people will think you're more powerful if you look at them more. And then most of the things that I just listed, in addition, having negative facial expressions. So if you like shaking your head, no, yeah, like shaking your head, no, or kind of having a disgust facial expression or an angry facial expression, negative emotional expressions demonstrate. Well, it's unclear. I can provide conjecture. We don't actually understand the mechanism through which this works, but my scientific best guess would be that if you feel confident enough to express your disgust, you know, in a, in a room that, wow, you, you know, you must really be willing to piss off other people, you know? So for example, Anna Winter, the famous Vogue editor in chief is known widely for wearing a pair of huge sunglasses and trying to remain as stoic as possible when she goes to fashion shows so that no one can read whether or not she <laughs> likes or dislikes a particular outfit coming down the runway or likes a particular line. And so there are cases where people really try to conceal things like disgust and other sorts of negative expressions because they not only can shape other people's perceptions of your power, but they can also lead people to kind of read into your preferences for things. So looking longer at someone, looking while you're speaking, this is a big one. And uh, this is the qualification I wanted to add earlier. When you look at someone while you're talking, that's a pretty big signal of power, dominance, a sense that you feel a lot of agency. There is something called the visual dominance ratio, which is that you look more at people while you're speaking relative to while they're speaking. So in other words, to put it into context, you and I are having a conversation and I'm looking at you while I'm talking right now. And then all of a sudden I stop talking, you begin talking, and then I look away or I look down at my phone or something. That is a total power play. It's insulting to do that, but it definitely signals power to the person on the receiving end of that and to anyone looking at the interaction. We all have these tools. We've used them at different times in different situations. We just may not have been consciously aware of what they've signaled. And so the idea is to reach into the toolbox and to try on different types of power, different nonverbals to see which ones suit you best. For example, if I'm a, a very demure person and let's say I'm a woman or I self-identify as a woman and I am wearing a skirt and you can see my legs, I'm not going to sit on a chair with my legs open and kind of leaning forward and <laughs> right. Like you might, sure, that's your prerogative to do that. But the signal that that sends could be more than just I'm dominant or feel powerful in this situation. You may actually prefer 
to sit in a way that's, you know, you've got your legs crossed in the kind of aristocratic European way where the royal family sits with their ankles crossed and their, their legs tipped to the side. But you could use hand gestures, for example. You could use highly controlled hand gestures, almost like you know where your hand is going to land before it gets there. You are doing ballet with your hands, kind of politician-y in a sense, not quite as rigid as a politician. And it doesn't come across as inauthentic either. It's controlled. It's precise. It's deliberate. It almost seems like it's been choreographed. One of the things that my students do is they have to write a behavioral nudge action plan for their class. They're all finishing up that paper right now because we're coming to the end of the semester. And they have to come up with a behavioral nudge and they have to put it into practice over the next roughly three months where they're going to try to make more eye contact, for example, because eye contact, yes, it makes people think that you're powerful. But here's the amazing thing about eye contact. It also makes people think you're smarter. And it makes people think you're warmer. I mean, what a triple whammy. And it makes people think you're trustworthy. Exactly. So that's a little captured under the warmth and openness, right? So there's this quadruple or at least triple whammy. And inclusive. So eye contact leads to other people feeling included and invited and involved. And so eye contact is this incredibly powerful tool that people can use It suggests that you have power. You may or may not actually have power, but other people will think you do. But also they'll think you're nicer. And when people think you're nicer, they like you better and you're showing liking. And there's science that suggests when you show other people you like them, they like you back more. And then it leads to other people feeling more included, uh, you seeming more trustworthy. I mean, just think of all of the good stuff associated with getting control over your eye contact. And we have complete control over whom we look at. And this is especially true of people who actually have structural power. Because the point that I'm trying to make here is that someone with a baby face is more likely to be trusted. Now, these are called physiognomic cues. They're not nonverbal because they're not dynamic. They're physiognomic, meaning they're static. They're kind of the face that you're born with, right? But they are meaningful and people do extract meaning from how you look, how low your eyebrows are, make you look angry. I mean, again, that's a whole other podcast. So, but I've got to be super careful because I need to pick a high power person who's also ego resilient in order to make the point, look at this person and their babyish face. You're going to trust this person, but in a negotiation, but guess what? They could potentially crush you because you're irrationally putting trust in them because of the way that they look and you can't do that. So when it comes to trust and lie detection, You've got to just wipe the slate clean and use the behaviors we're talking about here. And that's, again, a whole different discussion. But the idea is that there are really important times that, and they're sensitive, where you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. And you could also create great laughter and fun by having the skill of being able to pick out the most powerful person in the room. And then, of course, there are lots of strategic reasons why you might want to do this or you're sizing up the, you know, someone in a negotiation or other other kind of strategic context. So, yes, there are lots of kind of more selfish reasons why you might wish to, not selfish in a bad way, I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean like, you know, self-serving reason to sidle up to the most powerful person in the room. Someone like Jeffrey Pfeffer, for example. Um 
So, uh, and Jeffrey Pfeffer does indeed have a baby face. And so he would be a perfect person that I would pick on because he's not only ego resilient, but he's super high on power. He's got a great sense of humor. And I would have been able to pick up on that and I would have nailed him and used him as the person as my example. And he would have thought it was funny and great and laughed harder than anyone. So the point is that knowing how to sort through a crowd of faces and use this, uh, this sensitivity um, is really critical. And so if anyone's interested, I did write a paper that very easily lists out what are the cues associated with actual power, of which there are very few, and then what are the cues that we can kind of try on, like clothing, to figure out which ones fit and which ones we might suit us and which ones land well with other people. And uh, then kind of figure out, all right, I like this one. This one feels good. And that's a little bit, it's like going to a store and trying on clothes. I mean, you really do need to, to, and then practice it, right? Practice it to a point where it becomes automatic and then it will seem even more authentic than it may have in the first place. Final question. So I'm going to take you back actually to the beginning. And so many people listening to this will say, why is it that body language how people look, the gestures that they make. Why is this so important? Mm. How did this become important? Is there an evolutionary story to this? People will say, you know, this sounds fake or it sounds whatever. And even if it has an effect, how did it come to have such a big effect? Ah, oh, okay. This is my favorite question. All right. So first of all, human language, we don't even know when it came online. Quite literally, we don't know. It was a very long time ago. And there's a few hundred thousand years of variance in between when we think it came online. We do know, however, that nonverbal communication came online way before that. I mean, we see nonverbal communication in fish and, you know, uh, chimpanzees, very, yeah, absolutely. Non-human primates, of course, but you could go even down to these, I wouldn't say single-celled organisms, but there are, are very small organisms deep in the sea that we'll never see, no poetry intended there, that use their little multi-celled bodies to configure themselves in certain ways in order to send signals to other species like it or to other species that might be predators or whatever. So it is something that was developed evolutionarily or, you know, was selected for evolutionarily because it allowed different species to communicate with one another. Not everybody talks, right? And not everything vocalizes in order to communicate. There are many species that don't vocalize at all. Many in the ocean do, many on land do, but there are some in both places that don't. Certainly not for communication purposes. That's a powerful answer because it really illustrates that not only does this work for humans, it's true throughout the animal kingdom. And the intersection of humans and animals. I mean, you know. Absolutely. I'm agnostic about Caesar Milan, the famous kind of dog whisperer's approach with animals. But it could be argued that Caesar Milan has some kind of magical effect on animals, dogs in particular. He seems to get them and uses a lot of body language in how he signals to the dog, hey, I'm in charge you're safe, calm down. So not only within animal species, but across species. So, I mean, even how a human interacts with a horse makes a tremendous difference with regard to whether or not that horse will try to buck you off or treat you poorly or try to pull on the reins when you're like saying, no, no, go left. And they're like, you know, F you, I'm going right. right? So a horse 
interacts with a human in a way that they're very much picking up on a human's body language. Dana Carney, thank you so much for being part of the Pfefferon Power podcast. This has been Pfefferon Power. Today, we have talked with Dana Carney, a professor at the Haas School at the University of California at Berkeley, a world's leading expert on body language. And as she has illustrated, I think brilliantly in the episode today, body language is important for people. It's important for people interacting with animals. It's important in the animal kingdom, and it is something that can be learned and mastered. Um, this has been the Pfeffer on Power podcast. Every other week, we come on and we are available on all of your favorite things like Apple and Spotify. We are also available pfefferonpower.com. That's P-F-E-F-F-E-R on power.com. Today, we have talked with Dana Carney. Just a wonderful discussion of the importance of body language. It can be learned. You can read her articles. You can read her forthcoming book. Thank you so much for being with me, Dana. Jeff, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. 